Hi, I'm David Freudberg. This podcast derives from the Humankind Public Radio series, which I began hosting back in 1997. Our program recognizes how hard it can be, but also how necessary, for us to hold on to our humanity. So we've sought out people with stories that illustrate how they approach that quest. To aim high, to treat others as we'd like to be treated, to see others as more similar to us than different, to strive for patience and personal grace even in adversity, to be part of the solution, not the problem. We hope our podcast helps to reinforce and inspire your own quest. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. You're not supposed to really be in the sun when you're on chemotherapy. And so I walk into Wells Fargo Bank with a black baseball hat on and a surgical mask, and these people panicked. And they thought they were getting robbed. And I'm in there to sign like bank papers. Clowning around in the face of a serious illness may have more benefits than just lifting a patient's mood. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. A group of nurses in Oregon sometimes wear a button that says, warning, humor may be hazardous to your illness. In fact, a growing core of physicians, nurses, counselors, and patients are recognizing that a cheerful approach to life can help fortify the body's disease-fighting capacities. Leading this movement of mirth are a number of entertainers who've been through the ringer of cancer and lived to tell about it. Three cancers later, and you still have an outrageous sense of humor. <laughs> What's your secret? <laughs> that is the funniest question. <laughs> it reminds me of Kathy Lee Gifford. Well, my secret is a regimen of skin care products and healthy eating. <laughs> What's my secret? I was lucky enough to be born a happy person. I like being happy, so I make a conscious effort to be happy. In Los Angeles, Jonna Thomasus is a playwright and TV and stage performer who has contended with three cancers starting from age 19 when a chest x-ray revealed a shadow on her heart. It led to a diagnosis of Hodgkin's disease. She says the grand highway of possibilities that stretches out in front of youth suddenly took a sharp turn for her. Numerous hospitalizations and surgeries later, she's developed some ways to cope. I fiddle with my brain, you know, and that my outlook. I consciously choose and pursue a positive outlook. I think happiness is entirely a function of your outlook and point of view and how you choose to look at things and 
we end up having really very little control over our external circumstances. Um, some people may disagree, but certainly based on my history and my experience and having gotten sick, not by choice, all of a sudden the rug is whipped out from underneath me. So my experiences tell me, wow, things can go south at the drop of a hat. Things can, you know, turn bad. Circumstances can be bad through no fault of your own. So what can I control? Well, I can control my outlook. I can control choosing to focus on things that make me happy. And that helps me withstand the things that make me unhappy. I think we're faced with that every day, every moment, since we none of us lives in a world that revolves 100% around us, though we all think it should. <laughs> and so things don't go your way more often than they do go your way. So it's my job to um, roll with the punches and just choose to be okay with how things are going, you know? Today, Jana appears to be a healthy, slender, curly-haired brunette who bounces around on stage in sneakers in her acclaimed one-woman show, Jana's Body, Please Hold. The play mingles hilarious scenes with moments that make us squirm. The theme is her odyssey through cancer. That was intense. But physically, physically it wasn't actually that bad. The radiation made me a little sick, but I didn't lose all my hair. I didn't lose tons of weight. In fact, it sort of gave me a rosy glow in the dark. My experience while I was going through it was not comedic. And at the time, I wasn't laughing. And I wasn't looking on the bright side. I was just mad and sad. And somehow, my body got through it. The treatment ended and the tumors went away. And I consider myself very lucky. And it's easy to look back in retrospect and then start making jokes. But at the time, I wasn't happy and I wasn't funny. I was really bummed out. The play is set in a fictional hotel, where the hotel operator fields phone calls from the different parts of Jonna's body in their various states of distress as she undergoes cancer treatment. Jonna's body, where we put the hell in healthy. Oh, hello, mouth. How are you doing? Oh, come on. We're covered in sores. Throat has been screaming all day. Nothing can get through. No, not even applesauce. She's got to stop eating. I'm terribly sorry, Mouth. I'm afraid that's just not feasible. Thank you. Goodbye. Donna's body. Oh, hello, stomach. Mouth is right. She's got to stop eating. As long as this keeps up, I can't keep anything down. Yes, we're very aware of the problem, but I'm afraid you'll just have to batten down the hatches. Thank you. Goodbye. Given, I think, the importance of honoring your frustration and anger while you're going through it, there are, like I said, glimpses, moments that you might find when you're in the depths of it 
where you do feel like you're a little bit your old self, a little bit your happy self. And for me, those were like when friends would come to visit and we could just laugh. I could just laugh with my friends, um, not talk about being sick. And specifically, another thing happened to me. Somebody brought me when I was in the hospital a box of C's candies. I love C's candies. I love C's candies. And I had just had this major surgery in my abdomen. It was a diagnostic exploratory surgery to find if there was cancer here, there, or where. Um, so my whole belly had been opened and then closed. So I couldn't eat the chocolates, but they're sitting there taunting me. And everyone who came in was very um, respectful and serious. You know, oh, there are your chocolates. We're so sorry you can't eat them. My cousin Alan comes in, and he's like, oh, sees candy and he opens up and he starts wailing on the candy just eating them and he's looking at me going boy it's really too bad you can't eat these because they are so good and that made me so happy because it was finally somebody not being like so deadly serious about it but actually teasing me you know and did he leave you any he did not <laughs> he ate them all. I think he like took the rest of the box with him. Those were gone. I never saw them again. A skateboarder flies past the UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television where Hal Ackerman, a screenwriter and author, teaches aspiring talent the art of composing scripts. Witty and playful, gray-haired Hal describes his appearance as a cross between Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert Redford. In 1999, events forced him to take another look in the mirror. I went for my annual physical, and um, the doctor was kind of joking. Everything looked healthy. I was about to leave. I had one foot out the door. And uh, if you remember Columbo, uh, that show, just when you know, the killer thinks he's gotten away, he has one more question. And uh, my doctor had one more question, which was, when was the last time we did a PSA? And, uh, you know, I hate questions about maintenance. You know, when was the last time you rotated your tires? Or, and I said, I don't know, a couple of years or something. He said, well, why don't we, why don't we do a, a digital? If people don't know what a digital exam is, uh, it's, it's definitely not an examination of the digits, uh, but by the digits, uh, into a place beyond the digits easy reach. Um, and he is, you know, he's doing that, and um, suddenly everything changed at one moment. He said, I feel a roughness on one side. And I can remember how I felt at that moment. I just, the war, the, just the room started to spin. I, I had trouble breathing because I knew that something was wrong. The results of Hal Ackerman's test for PSA, or prostate-specific antigen, would reveal widespread prostate cancer. In 2005, his humorous play about the illness, Blue Sundays, written after Hal entered remission, premiered in Los Angeles. But just in the nick of time, the explanation hits me. It is so perfectly obvious. I have been given somebody else's results. Well, these things happen. Mail gets misdelivered. You get wrong numbers. I can see the letter of apology being written right now. Dear recent biopsian, boy, are our faces red. 
You can imagine our chagrin when we realized we had crossed your results with those of some other poor bastard. It is he and not you that has cancer in nine of his 12 cores. He and not you that will have to face his mortality. We apologize for any inconvenience this may have caused you and trust you will keep us in mind for all of your future cancer screening needs. <laughs> Unfortunately, the test results did belong to Hal Ackerman. As with many patients whose biopsy examination indicates cancer, Hal embarked on a scary sequence of tests, choices, and treatments. This included visiting a radiation medicine facility that felt to him like a bomb shelter in which he was the bomb. A source of solace through the ordeal was a compassionate physician. One of the beautiful things about the doctor that I went to, in addition to the treatment that he had, non-invasive hormone blockade, was just the way he looked at me. It was, it was transformational. Everyone up to that point was looking at my disease, and he looked at me as a person that was healthy but had this happening. How did you look at yourself? Well, I was scared. And, I mean, and it was interesting because the second time that I came to see him, he said that I looked amazingly different than I had the first time. He said the first time I looked... Uh, like death warmed over, um, you know, like I was just lost, that like my psyche was gone. And the second time he, he said, you know, somehow, you know, you, that I had come back together. And I felt that as well. Um, and, I, and, I, and I attribute a lot of that was, was to the first meeting that I had with him because we talked for about two hours. And it was not just about numbers, it was not just true, it was just about my life, about what I wanted, what I envisioned the future to be, um, you know, how I thought of myself, what I wanted, what, you know, what was going to happen after this, which was you know, the idea of, of incorporating the treatment into a lifestyle, into how you want to think of yourself as a healthy person afterwards. And that, when I came out of there, I realized for the first time that I was not going to die. And um, I think up to that point, I feared that I was. It just made me connect very much with experiences that I have with my father, who died, he, who died very young. He was, he was 48 when he died. Um, what was uh, the cause of his death? Heart. And uh, so, I mean, I always thought, I mean, the first sentence of the piece that I wrote about this thing was, I always thought it would be my heart, um, which I did. And so, I, you know, I've kept, I don't, I don't smoke and I don't eat red meat and, you know, I do all this stuff. You know, I say, you know, all the paper umbrellas we hold up against the 500-pound safe that's falling at us from some indeterminate distance. But, I, you know, I do it, did everything possible. So this kind of snuck up from behind. But I remember... As it, as it were. As it were. <laughs> exactly. Hormone deprivation therapy works on cancer cells the way cancer works on the body. It deprives them of their food. Unfortunately, that nutrient is testosterone. Absent of testosterone, your body chemistry most closely resembles that of a woman in menopause. Fat accumulates around the middle. Muscle tone evaporates. Women cease to hold sexual allure. That Saturday night special you've been carrying around droops into Flacido Domingo. You become a good boy, nice Knievel. Women, <laughs> women become as attractive as furniture. More poignant even than the loss of desire is the loss of desire for desire. You don't miss it. The psychological changes worry me. I don't want to become Alan Alda. I like being Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I'm from New York. You know how we drive there? What you call road rage, we call courtesy. <laughs> the other day, somebody tried to cut me off. I smiled and let them in. 
my girlfriend tells me about her day, I actually enjoy feigning mild interest in hearing about it. <laughs> Stop me before I validate somebody's feelings. I had to find a new way of relating to women uh, because that thing that had always been the drive, the engine, wasn't there anymore. Um, and it did, you know, I, I sort of think of this whole experience as Tootsie with prostate cancer. Um, you know, I just do, as you know, how do you become a better man by, you know, like what makes a man a man when the thing that defines manhood is gone? That's in, in a kind of way for me what my play is about, what this whole experience was about. Um, and, you know, I guess to, to sort of put it in, in um, you know, one little aphoristic under, moment of understanding, which did not come until a, a good deal later, but it was that I, and it's something that, you know, whenever you have any discovery, you think, why didn't I learn this 1,800 years ago? It's so, it seems so obvious. Uh, but to me it was that women are not just to sleep with, but to be awake with, uh, you know, which, which was my, which is my, the gift that cancer brought to me, I guess, if you could, if you could phrase it that way. Catastrophizing is the attitude of extreme pessimism that sometimes engulfs medical patients. It's often an unrealistic terror, but the patient must work through fear and worry, as did Loretta LaRoche, a comedian and stress management teacher prior to a recent surgery. I visited her home near Boston. You know, before the procedure, I can think of a million ways I'm going to die, how the anesthesia will suffocate me, and I will not be able to... <laughs> I will lose brain cells. I mean, I can do all of that. But when I'm going through it, a whole different thing happens. I'm totally, like, in the moment, optimistic, and I was making everybody in the in this pre-op holding area hysterical. I mean, the woman took, the nurse took my blood pressure, and she said, I, I can't even believe that you're going to have an operation. She says, everybody should have this blood pressure. And do you think it's because you were laughing and having a good time before? I think part of it is that I took myself through the whole thing, terrorized myself sufficiently, and then said, screw it. <laughs> and then I said, oh, well, I have to do it. I've gone through it all now. I've, I've pre-suffered. So was that a moment of surrender for you? Yes, absolutely. Then I just say, well, it is what it is. I have to do it. I have to go through it. So now I'm just going to laugh my way through it. What would be your suggestions for a cancer patient who wishes to embrace joy, even in the face of cancer? I would make sure I was doing everything possible to, to boost my immune system. And so I would watch funny videos as often as possible. And I have uh, Robin Williams. And when, you, when you're laughing like that, you are boosting your killer T-cell count. And they have found that that really does work. Medicine is getting serious uh, about silliness. <laughs> the, sil the silliness is, is really serious stuff. Researcher Lee Burke at the University of California, Irvine's Samueli Center believes that the physical and mental experience of laughter can stimulate killer cell activity. Natural killer cells are a wondrous device used by our bodies to detect and remove virus and tumor cells. Dr. Burke points out there are different types of laughter, and that is distinct from the nervous kind, what he calls mirthful or joyous laughter, 
may have some hidden therapeutic powers. We've been able to increase the activity of natural killer cells by something as simple as mirthful laughter. Now, how did we measure that? Well, we actually took uh, cells from individuals that were laughing. We get a group of, uh, of subjects or patients. Uh, we have them identify uh, uh, from a selection uh, some videos uh, that they uh, know for them is humorous or funny. How much would that be? 42, 39. But I add that up. What's the total? $411, but there's a sale today. You get 10% off. That makes it 42.50. I'll take it. Uh, it might be Bill Cosby, uh, Gallagher, could be candid camera tapes. Then we place a needle in the arm. We call an IV angiocatheter in the arm in the vein in the subjects. And uh, we take blood samples before we start. We take blood samples during the experience of watching the humor video. And we take blood samples afterwards. And what we were able to show with natural killer cell activity is that um, when we take the cells from these subjects experiencing mirthful laughter and put them inside tubes with tumor cells in comparison to control groups, they're able to kill these tumor cells more readily. And that, that's, that's a mind blower. When something is simple, supposedly simple, as uh, happiness or mirthful laughter has that capacity to do something like that. Scientists have found that the physical act of arranging your facial muscles into a smile can improve your mood. Smiling is associated with a surge of electrical activity in what's called the happy zone of the brain's left hemisphere. When we laugh, especially if we laugh heartily, the effect on the body can be like that of physical exercise, almost a mini version of jogging. There's huffing and puffing, we consume more oxygen, our stomach and facial muscles get a workout, the diaphragm, abdomen, heart and lungs receive a kind of massage. Medically speaking, it's a good idea to laugh often, just for the health of it. When you experience on a regular basis, you seem to condition parts of the brain called the hypothalamus and the pituitary. And that conditioning effect will change the release of different hormones. And it appears that with the conditioning effect, you decrease the detrimental stress hormones, but you increase the beneficial ones, uh, in particular, uh, beta endorphin. And again, beta endorphin uh, increases the capacity to tolerate pain. It, it's a mood elevator. It decreases the heart rate. It decreases the blood pressure, and it enhances immune system component function. I know sometimes if I'm listening to a comedian and it's outrageously funny and I just convulse in laughter, I will feel something coursing through me. It, it is a, a chemical high. Is that what I'm experiencing then? You probably are experiencing a chemical high, and this is what the individual who exercises reaches the runner's high. In the peripheral blood, it is a release of endorphins that it causes this euphoric effect. 
we experience laughter at both the physical and psychological levels. Mentally, when something strikes us as humorous, it provides the mind with a new perspective. Researchers have found that a sense of humor is associated with flexibility of thought. Laughter can open your mind and your heart, especially in moments of tension. Comedian John Thomasus. I experience anxiety like physically being trapped in a small alcove with, with a bunch of little monsters that are, are chattering away at you. You should do this. This is what's going to happen to you. Here's another thing to worry about. Like that. And they're, they're bouncing off the walls and you're trapped in this small space with them. So it's very, a lot of pent-up energy, a lot of confinement. That's the feeling in my body when I am feeling anxious. And laughter is like busting a huge hole in the wall of that alcove. Physically, that's what it feels like. It feels like, oh, there's an opening. And all that negative energy, all those negative nattering voices, they get released. They are flushed out of that alcove. There are many, many positive effects of, of humor. Jeffrey Gurian is a humorist in New York City who has written comedy for Jerry Lewis, Robin Williams, Joan Rivers, and Milton Berle. No one ever, you know, uh, got sick from laughing too much, you know what I mean? <laughs> they may get a stomach ache. I know I've seen certain comics where I have tears rolling down my face, and I'm like, stop, no more dr- I can't laugh anymore, please. Gilbert Gottfried does that to me. I have to go with paramedics when I go to see his show. In addition to loving comedy, Jeffrey Gorian teaches dentistry at New York University, perhaps one of the world's only dentist comics. He's given a lot of thought to the intersection of humor and health. Humor is not just about telling people jokes. Yeah, it's great to make people laugh, but it's also about creating humorous, a humorous attitude for yourself. When you come out of the hospital and you go home, or even in the hospital, surround yourself with things that make you smile. You know, in my house, if you see, everything is light colored. I had white carpeting. I just changed it because I had a flood. But I had <laughs> my piano is white. My car is white. White makes me happy. Create a space in your house that makes you feel happy when you're there. It's all part of a humorous outlook on life to surround yourself with things that strengthen you as a human being, to put pictures around you of people that you love, because love is the strongest power in the universe, and love is what heals. So when you come home, take a little space or a room or any part of your house that you could consider yours. Use affirmations. I have affirmations all the time around. You have these cards surrounding your apartment. It's all over my apartment. There is no room in my life for fear. You can choose an affirmation that feels good to you and say it over and over again till you brainwash yourself with it. I would take things that just appeal to me and I would repeat them over and over again, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times to imprint them into my mind. I will not be sick. I refuse to be sick. I, I was born to be healthy. No matter what it is that feels comfortable to you, if you use that affirmation, and imprint it into your consciousness, it will strengthen you. It'll improve your immune system. No matter what the illness is, it applies to stress-related illness. Cancer may be a stress-related illness. Who knows? You know, they're working on that still after all these years. I mean, I've spoken twice now at the MD Anderson Cancer Center in, in Texas. Stress management teacher and humorist Loretta LaRoche understands there are times in battling illness when laughter may seem like the furthest thing from a patient's mind. Sometimes you just have to sit with it. 
but eventually those dark moments can give way to a smile. So many of those cancer survivors have said that humor was like the quintessential coping mechanism for them, and so many of them are so funny. They've come up to me, you know, people who've survived, and they, they were hysterical how they ever were able to get through the situation with the humor that they had. You know, they'd wear funny wigs, punk, punky wigs, and strange outfits, and I, I don't know. Some of them really were over the edge. I mean, they had gone berserk. You know, one woman had had a double mastectomy, and she had this, these, this, these fake boobs that she wore, with this fake cleavage and everything hanging out. I said, oh my God, you've gone over the edge. She said, well, you have to. <laughs> You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Medical consultant, Dr. Leo Stolbach. Special thanks to Dr. Bill Stason, Michael Cronin, Brian Johnson, Wesley Horner, Kathy Graham, and KCRW. Our program is presented by Human Media, program development and support provided by Shart Media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This segment, part two of Humor and Health, is Humankind program number 93. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.